We'll start off in Luke 15. We're looking at the title of the, the lesson is Comeback Kids, Getting a Biblical Grasp on Repentance. Luke 15. Before we get into the passage, let me hear from you. What comes to mind when you hear the word repentance? Go. Humility. Good. Agreeing with God. Good. Change of heart. Okay. Yes. Turning away from sin. What else? Real versus false repentance. Okay, true. The genuine repentance versus a false repentance. <clears throat> what else comes to mind? Anything else? I'm, it's not a quiz. I'm not taking answers like a grade. Returning to Christ? Yep. Other thoughts? When I say repentance, what do you think of? Turn? To turn? Okay. You know what's interesting? When I preached every uh, week, usually, in evangelism, when I would do the netcasters material, Brother John Van Gelderen, he's here in the back, and he wrote um, material called the netcasters soul-winning uh, literature, uh, soul, personal evangelism plan. And I would teach that <clears throat> uh, on his behalf in, in churches around the country. And I would usually start off by asking the question, it's, I can't remember which lecture it was, but one of the sessions I would start off by asking people what I just asked you. What comes to mind when I say the word repentance? And you would not believe what came back. It was startling. And every time I thought to myself, am I in a Baptist church? I didn't think I walked into a Catholic church. But these answers are totally Catholic. And so there's a disconnect somewhere going on with our understanding of repentance. And it's no wonder that we get stuck in the mud in our Christian lives. And it's also no wonder that we doubt our salvation. One of the neatest things that happened, there's a lot of neat things that happened while I was doing those netcasters seminars, but one of the neatest things that happened was a couple came every single session. They had not intended to come every session. They intended to come Sunday like normal and go home. And they came back Sunday night. They didn't normally come back Sunday night. They came Monday. They didn't normally come back on Monday. And they came all the way through. And they, they were probably in their 60s. I would say, and they talked to me afterwards and they, they said, Preacher, we have never understood what repentance was before and we've never had the assurance of our salvation that, that we believe we should have as Christians. And going through netcasters, they said, has helped us find assurance, find just a settled faith and peace that we know that we are saved. It, it was amazing. Now, they did not go out uh, with us because we'd go out and we'd share the gospel. They weren't there for that. They were there just to get themselves settled. And I thought that was fine. You know, I'll, I'll help you, you know, if you want to come. And, uh, and they got help biblically. There is a lot of different ideas about repentance. And uh, we want to make sure that we have a biblical uh, idea, uh, a biblical concept. So we'll look at a, a long illustration here from Luke 15 and uh, dive into this a little bit. Luke 15, verse 11, he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said unto his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. He divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him to feed, uh, to, to his fields to feed his swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. 
I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Let me see. To be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. So here's a guy who has a major setback in his life, a major failure, a major season of sin, but at some point he comes to the end of himself. Uh, He hits rock bottom and then he turns back to his father. Uh, You see some repentance going on there as he then heads back toward his father and his father is ready and willing to forgive him and not just to forgive him, but to celebrate this return. Uh, So we're going to look at this matter of repentance, what it is, what leads to it, what hinders it, and and so forth, and and then even look at why is repentance repetitive? Why is it that we have to repent of the same sin over and over? Now sometimes we have a hard time forgiving people who sin against us because they keep doing the same thing over and over and over, and they keep repenting uh, and, and asking forgiveness and so forth, and and uh, we, we are not as patient with others as God is with us. Uh, so we're going to talk about that as, as well. But our Christian lives, if we're honest, are filled with failures and setbacks. We do have uh, great seasons of victory, and, and we have seasons of doubt and unbelief and failure, and, and yet God is ready to welcome us back. Do you remember riding a bike for the first time? I remember uh, going in New Orleans, Louisiana with my brothers and I rode my bike for the first time without any hands. And it was that look mom no hands moment. And then everything went crazy and I went skidding along and I still have a scar on the inside of my knee where on the inside of my knee, that tender part of your knee, I just scraped it like on a cheese grater. And that was, that was uh, yeah, that was my look mom, no hands moment. Didn't go so well, right? Uh, we oftentimes still have scars and, and, uh, and, and so forth. But did I learn to ride a bike? Nope, I didn't. Never touched a bike since. No, I did. I learned to ride a bike. I, I, I enjoy bike riding. I don't do it often, but it is, it is a good exercise. Uh, what do you do? You get back up and you have to uh, face it again. And uh, with the Lord, he would have us to get back up, as the title on the screen says, to be a comeback kid, all right? The proverb says, for a, a just man falleth seven times and rises up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. You know, when I, if I said, tell me about the just man, would you say, he falls seven times and rises yet again? That probably wouldn't be the first thing that you would say. <laughs> but it is a biblical thing that you could say. If, if I asked you, tell me about the just man, that would be a biblical response. He falls seven times and rises yet again. Joyful Christians learn how to turn back quickly to the Lord, quickly and often acknowledging when they fail. Someone said humble. I think it was Miss Boss when we were talking about repentance. Humility. Um, they humble themselves. They confess and they, they look to Jesus. They deal honestly with their failure. When we fail, many times we want to run and hide. But Jesus is not the one to run and hide from. He's the one to run and hide in. Run to him and hide in him. Here's the quote from the book. You can put this down if you're taking notes. Real Christians are repeat offenders, but regular repenters. 
Real Christians are repeat offenders, but regular repenters. Now that may sound discouraging. Is that all we are? That's not all we are. This is not saying everything about Christianity. Okay. But this is a, this is a, a, a true aspect that Christians do have uh, repeat offenses. But we should also understand what it is to come back to the Lord and to do so quickly. So the first question, what is repentance? I already asked, and you gave several different uh, quick answers. And as I mentioned, there's a lot of confusion about repentance and what it is. So before we define it, let's take a moment to see what it is not. And then we'll look at a definition here in a moment. First of all, it is not guilt, shame, or condemnation. I don't know if I have that in... No, I don't. I don't have it on the screen. I'm not sure what you have in your notes, but... It's not guilt, shame, or condemnation. Um, sometimes people think they've repented just because they feel really, really guilty. And they think, oh, I'm so ashamed. I'm so guilty. I'm sure this is the breakthrough moment. I'll never do it again. Uh, nope, because I've been there. I've been guilty. I've been ashamed. I have been so condemned, hating myself for whatever I got myself into. And you think, this is the breakthrough one. Anybody else have a, have a similar you know, idea of that? Well, I was a principal. I was a principal for one year. I learned a lot from that one year being a principal. I did not want to be a principal, but I have to say the Lord, the Lord has used it. I got a ton of sermon illustrations. So <laughs> amen for that. Um, but I, 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 I'm, I, when I think of being a principal... I think of 2 Corinthians 7. Turn over there real quick because it's not in your notes. 2 Corinthians 7. Um, verse 9. Now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. In other words, what he's saying there is I was not rejo I was rejoicing. I was rejoicing, but not simply because you were sorry. I already know that that's, that's, that's shallow. That's not necessarily time to do the victory lap. I, I rejoice, but not just because you were sorry. I was rejoicing because you sorrowed through to repentance. There's a difference. You guys were made sorry after a godly manner. And he's going to talk about it in a minute. That you might receive damage by us and nothing. In other words, what we did didn't hurt you. It, this has helped you. You have been able to come face to face with your sin and deal with it and sorrow through to repentance. It's a good thing. Then he says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. That's the idea of deliverance. To deliverance, Okay. Um, and it goes on, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Stop there for a moment. So godly sorrow works you through to deliverance. Worldly sorrow is just death. Uh, a lot of people take this chapter and they only use it for repentance as it pertains to salvation because the word salvation is there. But you have to understand the word salvation means deliverance. And the word salvation in the scripture is oftentimes used more broadly than just in the soteriological sense. It's not always just speaking of salvation from sin, death, hell. Uh, so he says, this is a principle. Godly sorrow worketh repentance that leads to deliverance. Real godly sorrow culminating in real repentance also culminates in deliverance. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. When I was a principal, I got to see these two things on display. Godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. And sometimes the kids, they couldn't see what was going on. And they would think, they're really through. And I'm thinking, no, you're not. You're ashamed. You're guilty. You hate yourself right now. 
You have to go home and face mom and dad. Actually, mom and dad are on their way to meet you and you have to tell them why you're going to be suspended for three months or whatever it is. And uh, you're, you're just literally hating life right now and you think that you're in revival. Not necessarily. You could be in revival. But that all those elements do not equal revival. You follow me so far? What we, what we want to do is make sure that we're going deeper here. So the sorrow of the world worketh death. Somebody help me with that. Why does the sorrow of the world work death? Here's this kid weeping buckets. I, I had a kid weeping so... This is, this is totally true. Uh, it's not going to sound true, but it is true. He was weeping so uncontrollably that we were sitting, we were not in my office, we were downstairs in this big, 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 huge room, just he and I, and there was a mop and a bucket. I took the mop bucket and put it under him, and he just wept into it. He was making a mess on the floor. You got to be practical. There's a mop bucket. <laughs> weeping the thing. Snot, tears, just a mess in that mop bucket. Uh... He did not come through to victory. That was not a victory moment for him, unfortunately. Isn't that sad? Like this whole humongous scene. And, and what did it accomplish? Well, you, you, help me out here. What, so what, what, is, what does it mean when it says, the sorrow of the, of the world worketh death? Yes. That's good. Stopping short of Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Despair. Despair. Short of Jesus, who is life, everything else is death. Absolutely. Despair. And a lot of times, that's where you hear that despair. And you hear, oh, I'm a terrible kid. I'm just horrible. I never should have been born. You know, <laughs> you hear these things. Um, and it's the devil right there that is, that is getting a hold of that situation. And he is just going to take them and grind them into the dirt if he, if, if he can get the chance. But what else is death about the sorrow of the world? There's something else that's deadening about it. How so? Because you're heading the, the wrong way. You're not agreeing with God. Yeah. You're agreeing with your circumstances that you're sorry and that's not repentance. Sure. So maybe you're just grieving the circumstances. I'm getting kicked out of school. Ah! You know, my wife is going to find out. Ah! Or whatever. And, and th those are just circumstantial things. Yep. You haven't agreed with God about what God says. You don't really care about what God says. You just know you might lose your job. Or you might, I might lose my marriage. Or whatever. Absolutely. And there's, and there's another aspect to it as well. Some people get in this cycle they equate this with repentance and then this is what they do every time something happens and all they get is death 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 their whole life is they, they can't get to victory they can't uh they cannot rebuild trust and, and eventually this pattern will lead to people just walking away from the lord and they'll say i tried to repent i've heard people say that before I have repented through tears. I have agonized over my sin. Now they think they have. Maybe they agonized over the consequences of their sin. But I did all that over and over and over and it doesn't work. And so they just choose a path of death. Now verse 11 says, For behold this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort. So remember he said in verse 9 that he rejoiced because they sorrowed to repentance. Now he, he differentiates in verse 10 what, what the one is, what the other is. Uh, one goes through deliverance, one death. Verse 11, here is how you know which one you're in. So check this out. Ye sorrowed after a godly sort. What does that look like? It looks like, first of all, carefulness. What carefulness it wrought in you. Secondly, it looks like clearing of yourselves. Thirdly, indignation. Fourthly, fear. Fifthly, a vehement desire. Sixthly, zeal. Seventh, revenge. In all things, or in all these things, you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. In other words, they came to Jesus 
And when they did, they came humbly and honestly and they confessed everything to him. That's clearing yourselves. Confess your sins. Uh, he that confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy, the Bible says. They cleared. They weren't holding on. You can tell someone who has only got worldly sorrow because they are only concerned about the consequences, which means they're not going to clear any more than they have to because they don't want the consequences to get any worse than they already are. But if you have someone who's got real repentance going on, they don't care about the consequences. They, clear, they want to be right with the Lord. They want to be free. They want to get this over with. They want to come to Jesus and say, here's what I did, and here's how it went, and here's how it went down, and they get out with it. So there's a clearing of yourselves. Uh, I'm sorry, but I missed the first one. Carefulness. Carefulness. Uh, so someone who, who gets right with the Lord and repents and comes to the Lord he touches their heart, and now they have a desire to be careful and, and to, be, uh, to walk circumspectly. You know, I, I would see these kids who would cry and weep and all of this and then be so reckless the very next week. You just got out of detention, buddy, and you're sitting with the same kids who got you in there. Where's the carefulness? Where's the carefulness? Well, there's no carefulness because there was no genuine repentance going on. So carefulness, clearing of yourselves, you go on. Uh, indignation, God is changing their heart. Now they're indignant about their sin. Fear, a fear of God as opposed to a fear of man. Uh, what else do you have? A vehement desire and zeal. Whereas there was a zeal and a desire for the things of the, the temptation in the world, now there's a vehement desire and a zeal for God. God is changing them and even producing a revenge. I have seen kids sorrow to repentance who they want to go to prayer meeting, they want to go out soul winning, they want to give their testimony, they have come through and they're so now just on fire for God and they've come to Jesus and been embraced by him and his forgiveness that now they, they want to revenge, have some revenge on the devil. So <clears throat> getting back to the notes, it's not just shame, guilt, or condemnation. It is a godly sorrow that worketh repentance, which we'll talk about more what that is, and coming through to deliverance. The next point is, is very, very much the same. It's not merely regret, remorse, or self-abasement. You may regret or sorrow over your failure, but God's not just looking to make you sad. That's what 2 Corinthians 7 says. I'm not just here to make you sad. <laughs> I'm here to see you work through a process of repentance to deliverance. It's also, repentance is not penance. It is not atonement or payment or punishment. Jesus already paid it all. Do you see in Luke 15, <clears throat> the guy comes back to his dad and his, his immediate thought is penance? You see that? He says, I will arise and go to my father and say, I have sinned. I'm no more worthy to be thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Penance, self-abasement. And his dad says, enough of that. I'm ready to forgive you. I've been ready to forgive you. We're going to throw a huge celebration. We're going to kill the fatted calf. You're going to be restored. Boy, praise the Lord for that. Uh, forgiveness is not, I'm sorry, repentance is not just penance. Or, uh, or atonement. And that's the part, by the way, I told you when I would ask people in Baptist churches, uh, what is repentance? Different words of penance, something to do with penance would come up. And it's like, wow, we, we've got to have a biblical understanding here. Um, repentance is not just asking for forgiveness over and over and over again. We can do some trite, flippant prayers without ever things getting into the heart and recognizing what Jesus has done. He is the propitiation. He is the satisfaction. We need to come to Jesus, all right? It also isn't regaining or reclaiming salvation, all right? Once you are reborn, you can't become unborn. Nothing, the Bible says, can separate you from the love of God. So repentance is not about being saved again. It is about restoring our fellowship with him so we saw what it's not so what is it then the definition of repentance here and there's a lot of different ways to say it <clears throat> as he puts in the book repentance literally means to think differently i always heard it 
and taught it a, a change of the mind. All right, same, I guess, same idea to think differently, a change of the mind, same, same concept there. Uh, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament for, word for repentance, I think it's shuv, if I'm saying it right, not a good Hebrew scholar, but it, it, it has the idea of to turn. The New Testament word does not carry that same concept. That's more of an Old Testament concept. But if you take the idea of turning, I would say be careful with it because it can get slippery on you, all right? If you're going to see repentance as a turn, it's got to be a turn to Christ from sin. Uh, if, you, if you say turn from sin to Christ, I have a problem with that because who can do that? What person, what human, what sinner can turn from sin to Christ? Um, you say, oh, you're splitting hairs. I don't know. I, I think it's Jesus who's going to deal with our sin. And if I could turn from my sin, why would I need Jesus anyway? I'll just turn from my sin. I'll turn from this and this and this and this and this and this and this. We'll turn to Christ while you're at it. Why? I just turn from all the stuff. So I think it's important to define it. If you're going to define it as a turn at all, it's a turn to Christ from sin. And you could say, well, it's the same thing, isn't it? If this is sin and this is Christ... Demonstrate the one, then demonstrate the other. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn from sin to Christ. It looks like this. Now I'm going to turn from Christ to Christ from sin. And it looks like this. It kind of looks like the same thing, but it's different. It's different because of who is the one really giving the, the power to deliver from that sin. I'm turning to Christ. Were you going to say something? Yeah, go ahead. Or deliverance. So it's just like the sick man, he can't turn from his sickness. If he could, he doesn't need the doctor. He turns yes. to the doctor for deliverance from the sickness. Same thing, you just said. Absolutely, and that comes from the verse there, they that are whole need no physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You, if you were sick, I wouldn't say, uh, well, just turn from your sickness, and then go to the doctor. If you could turn from your sick, sickness, you're not going from the, to the doctor. I mean, that's, the, that's me. My wife will give me all the concoctions that she can concoct, I'll do all the stuff, and, and, and if nothing works, well, we're going to the doctor. Uh, well, the, the point here is sick people need the physician. You turn to the physician to deliver you from. So be careful about that. Uh, that if, you, if you have an idea of turning in your definition of repentance, make sure it's a Christocentric turn, not an egocentric turn. Thoughts, questions on that? All right, so repentance is a change of mind. It is an acknowledgement of the truth and then and submitting to that truth, which then does allow Christ to, uh, to, Christ to, to then do what he does in us. All right, in, in the, the, the lesson here, he does say, turn from sin to Jesus. It's in here. It's, it's so prevalent. Everybody says that. Every tract and most tract racks will always say, turn from sin to Jesus. I, I, this whole lesson I thought was great. That was one phrase I was like, ah, I'd turn that around. It just, I think it just helps to keep the whole thing Christocentric. Yes? Turn from sin, turn from sins, repent of your sin or repent of your sins. They're not in the New Testament. Correct. Right. The turn from occurs three times and it's, it's from idols, which is wrong object of dependence. The turn to Christ is nine times. That's the emphasis, what you just said. Right. And they said, turn to Christ, and they turn to Christ from idols. So even that is, the sequence is, they turn to Christ from the idols. Yeah, I, 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 we, sing, we sing the verse, it, it actually bothers me every time, but we sing victory in Jesus, and we sing, then I repented of my sins and won the victory. And I haven't changed the slide or whatever, because it's, it's what we always sing. But technically... That phrase is not in the Bible. There's no phrase repent of sins or repented of sins. Um, it is, repentance is, is, my, is my change of mind about my sin and, if anything, turning to Jesus for deliverance from those sins. So, repentance, we're going to look at it for two things. We're looking at the definition of repentance. First of all, for those who don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. Let's look at it first in a soteriological sense. For those who don't know Jesus as their Savior, repentance is the decision to own your sin, your violation of God's laws, your need for justification, and for Christ alone, 
and, and, and turning to him for deliverance from that. So salvation uh, comes through repentance. But then for those who know Jesus as Savior, repentance is uh, the recurring habit of a real Christian uh, of when you listen to the Holy Spirit, he convicts you of, of something in your life, some sin, you agree with him and you allow him to change your thinking and then subsequently he changes your living and he gives you the, the, the uh, grace that you need for that. All right, so repentance is a willing personal acknowledgement of sin and a renewed yielding to Jesus for grace-driven life change. I'm going to say that again. Repentance is a willing personal acknowledgement of sin and renewed yielding to Jesus for grace-driven life change. So again, I do believe that's a Christocentric focus that he does have in the whole of the book, though he might have said, turn from sin to Jesus. We'll give him that. <laughs> okay. Uh, God does not ask you to pay for your sin. We have to remember this. He does not ask you to atone for your sin, to do penance for your sin. Uh, he, he, he asks you to acknowledge it, to confess it. He also asks in the scriptures to forsake it. Uh, if we uh, uh, forsake it, we'll have mercy, the Bible says. Uh, he asks us to run from it. Uh, but bottom line, we are to change our thinking about it. So acknowledge it, agree with God that it's sinful, hurtful, destructive, confess it, don't hide it, admit and don't rationalize, don't blame, uh, uh, confess it to God, and then uh, forsake it. That is the choice to accept who I am in Christ and his provision that he has given me for deliverance from this sin. You can never exhaust God's forgiveness, and I think that's a, a lie the devil tells us. Didn't you repent of this recently? You're repenting again? Um, well, repentance is the act of taking responsibility for my sin and getting real before him. And, and uh, sometimes that will happen uh, several times with a, with a certain matter. This is another critical point. Let me, let me highlight this for you. Repentance itself does not generate life change, but it brings me to a place where change is possible through the Holy Spirit. So I'll give you that one again. Repentance itself doesn't generate life change but it does bring me to the place where life change is made possible by the Holy Spirit. Um, sometimes <clears throat> we get caught up because we want certain measurable levels of remorse or regret or whatever. And if these measurable levels are there, then we say it's genuine repentance. Uh, we've got to be careful about that. We necessarily can't judge and measure everybody else's heart uh, but, but we need to be uh, leading people to, to, to change their mind, change their thinking, and agree with God about their sin. Thoughts or questions on that? The definition of repentance. We'll go to the result of repentance. Yes? You mentioned um, we try to measure. I think the other way we can measure is in duration. Look, you know, you know a spouse could do that, or somebody that you know, you know, is, you know I... I you know, you failed again, you, 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 you had this trial again, you lost your temper again, whatever the case may be, you mustn't have been repentant back here six months ago. <laughs> you know, just, you know and instead, uh, we, we can put that onus on people and question their repentance, the genuineness of their repentance, yeah. if they falter or fail again. And, and we got to be careful about that. And it could be that they weren't genuine, possibly. It could, I mean, that, that could be, but it may not be. Right. It may be that it was genuine, and uh, the, the truth is, prone to wander how I feel it, prone to leave the, the God I love. We sing that song. Um, and someone could be genuinely repentant and then slip back into that same matter. Uh, and remember, with what measure ye meet, shall it be meted? <laughs> okay, if you judge, you, you're gonna, it's, gonna, it's coming back. Uh, you know, sometimes a spouse will say, my marriage has been so bad for so long, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering how my spouse could even be saved. And that's because they've kind of measured it up. They've been unrepentant of this issue for so many years, but be careful about that. Um, and kids will do it with, I'm sorry, parents will do it with their kids as well. You have been so much trouble ever since you turned 16. 
and now you're 21 and you're just, you know, a grief. And I don't know if you're even saved. And, uh, you know, that doesn't usually help the child at that point for their salvation to be called in question. It may be that they're not saved. But uh, don't use that as a, as a um, leverage because the devil could get a hold of that and really cause them to go down a, a dark path. Yes? One question. How do we balance that with the idea of John? I think of John speaking in Luke 3, you bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. There seems to be, I, I very much agree that that can be very damaging. There's also, I see John giving the Baptist giving very clear what, what should we do? Well, soldiers don't steal. You know, don't don't do this. There just seems to be that balance with all right, are you are you really repenting? All right, let's see it. Yeah, so I I would never put myself in the place of John the Baptist on that point. First of all, you know, and I don't necessarily see that repeated after that. You know, there's a, there there are a lot of things that happen in Acts that are not repeated. Um but like, like for me as a church to set myself up here and say, okay, Jason, you know, I, I don't know if, uh, you know, you're doing right here. Now, there may be some things that are pretty clear because of the word of God. And if the word of God says, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery and an individual in our church is continuing to commit adultery and is not repentant about it, then I think we've got, we've got clear black and white Bible truth that we can say, we're not judging anybody's heart here. We're reading a scripture, which is making a judgment. You're opening your mouth and saying where you are. We're just putting the two together. God is judging through his word. Do you see what I'm saying? And I can say, look, you're, you're, you're in adultery. You're unrepentant. You're loving your sin. That's what you're saying. This person say, yep, I love it. I'm not, I'm not leaving. This is what I want to do. Forget my wife. Okay. Now I can say you have not brought forth meat for, uh, fruits, meat for repentance and you have a real problem here. So I, I, would, I, I guess I would just say we need to be careful to not, uh, to, to, to let the word of God really guide us there. Um, uh, does that help you there? Yeah, I, think, I think there's a judging someone has repented in the past and telling someone at the point of repentance bring forth fruits worthy yeah. of repentance, which is what I see John the Baptist doing. These people were coming to him repenting and he was saying, all right, your life is going to change now. And kind of going to those results. So uh, that's the idea of um, preach the gospel, no holds barred. Letting them know what, what it is. I think we need to have a gospel that is not sugar-coated. You know, this health, wealth, prosperity gospel, John the Baptist didn't preach that. He preached, you need to, here's what God says about sin. Here's how your, your life, God's going to come into your life. He's going to change your life. This is what the Christian life looks like. This is what doctrine is. Uh, I think that's what you're saying. Essentially, yeah, Lloyd. Yeah, I think we can't be afraid of saying true, real faith and repentance leads to uh, produces a change in your life. Just because we can't quantify that doesn't right. mean we need to be afraid to say that. Correct. Good point. Good point. Yeah, that's good. I John. Think it's interesting that in John the Baptist's statement, he distinguishes between repentance itself, yeah. which is that transfer, that change of way of thinking. And then obviously where it's supposed to go. So repentance opens the door, but it doesn't automatically produce. That's why John the Baptist said, hey, now bring forth the fruits. If it was automatic, you wouldn't have to say it. Hmm. Okay, yeah, good point. Yeah, I, on that note, when I was an evangelist, um, we would have these youth rallies. And I remember one church in particular, there was something like 19 teenagers professed the Lord as Savior that week. And then I, I happened to be there for that following Sunday, and a, a bunch of them came for that Sunday school. And one of the deacons said, well, we'll see how many of these genuinely repented. I said, what do you mean? Well, we'll see if they're here next week and the next week and the next week. And we'll see, you know, if, if they genuinely repented, they're, they're going to keep on being here. And I was like, wow, these kids never knew what a Bible was before this week. Some just learned who Jesus is. I don't think they know much about you got to be in church every Sunday. And this guy is saying, we'll see if they're really saved based on do they keep coming? That's kind of the fruit meat for repentance that he had drawn up. So that's kind of the fine line. We want to make sure that we're not, um, 
going beyond what the Word of God says, but yet what Lloyd said is absolutely right. We should expect that there is a change. Uh, that's, that's Bible, 1 Corinthians 5, 17, and a lot of other scriptures. Uh, but yet, yes, it, it's the Holy Spirit that is going to do that change, and uh, we let God do that. Good thoughts. Anybody else? Yes. So, um, what, what about, do you think that there's a truth to generation? Generation. Certainly. And I think that, and I, I would say that it can be repented of. I believe that there can come a generation that's dealing with generational sin that says, enough's enough. Let's stop the bleeding and let's stop it now. Um, <clears throat> you, you know, there, there is no, there's nothing that says that because your father and your grandfather and your great-grandfather all had this problem that you're just doomed to it. Uh, I think it's just a matter that you're going to have to you're going to have to cross that bridge, but it can still be repented of. You can still still see victory there if you'll come to Jesus. Good, good, good thoughts here. Excellent. Um, <clears throat> let's go to letter B. Oh, we're on. I'm sorry, we're on letter B. Yeah, the result of repentance. All right. So Jeremiah 17:23 says, uh, but they obeyed not, neither inclined their ear, but made their neck stiff that they might not hear, neither receive instruction. Uh, Israel was often referred to as a stiff-necked generation. And sometimes we are as well. We are hard-hearted. Uh, Proverbs, is it 29-1, 28-1? He that being often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. I have to look up the reference on that. But um, it is not a good situation to harden your neck, to harden your heart, to refuse to return. And many times we do that based on pride. So the greatest obstacles to, uh, to repentance is pride, self-justification, blame-shifting, rationalization, etc., one thing we got to learn as Christians is the road of repentance and victory and all of this is always better the sooner we go down that road. As soon as God convicts, head to Him. The sooner I soften, the better my whole life. Uh, and, and that's when growth happens. Growth is possible only when we soften our hearts and change our minds. <clears throat> So repentance is when the light of truth comes on in our hearts. We see sin as it is. We see God as he is. We see grace as it is. And we run to Jesus acknowledging our truth, his, the, the truth, softening our hearts to him and his word. We embrace that truth and uh, his growth resumes. And I want to give you this quote on this point. Uh, so the result here of repentance um, Repentance is a change of mind that allows God to produce a change of heart. And I do like the way he worded that one because it's different than how you normally hear that. Normally you've heard repentance is a change of mind that produces a change of heart. And I've never cared for that. I like the way he put it. Repentance is a change of mind that allows God to produce a change of heart. Uh, it may seem subtle, but again, it is a more Christocentric focus, just calling out that we're looking to him to do this change. Number two, what leads to repentance? Let's ask the audience here, the congregation, what leads to repentance? Maybe you can talk from your own life, or maybe a Bible verse comes to mind. What are the things that lead to repentance? There it is. You read the book. Took the note right out. Stole my punchline. The goodness of God. That is, that is the, the chief uh, thing that, that leads us to repentance. Uh, most often, people will say punishment, consequences, God's wrath, life falling apart, and all that. But what we need to understand, those things can lead to repentance. Sure, certainly, consequences and life falling apart can lead you to repentance. But recognize that it doesn't have to be like that. Your life does not have to fall apart for you to repent. 
you can recognize very early on. God's Word says this, I'm doing the opposite. This is wrong. I believe God. I'm going to change my mind about this matter. I'm coming to Him to deliver me from this, get the victory. And, and God loves me. He's, he, he, he ha, he's good to me and He wants the best for me. And therefore, because God is so good, I'm going to repent of this sin. Boy, that would be great if we did that. <laughs> if we just repented at, early on when we recognize how good God is in our lives. Uh, it is not His desire to just chastise us all the way into repentance. Though sometimes those consequences, uh, the punitive measures seem to be what uh, is the greatest motivator. But truly, the, the, the best motivator should be the goodness of God. Were you going to say something, brother? Oh, okay, I thought you waved at me. Sold! <laughs> Don't go to an auction. All right. Uh, Romans 2.4. So it says, Romans 2.4, Or despises thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So what motivates me to, to repentance? Hopefully it's not just pain and problems and so forth. What about God's goodness? God's amazing grace that he would continue to forgive. Yes? Sometimes that even pain can be um, an outflow of its goodness. Sure. Um, I can think about different circumstances. And I can even think about more than a couple of times, I guess, that a, a good friend has sort of nailed me to the wall uh, with um, a way of thinking or thought and pattern. And, um, and that was the goodness of God in my life. Mm -hmm. It really did. That, that person then became just a, a vessel for God's goodness and him to really do a work in some very specific areas of my life. So Amen. Amen. Yeah. The goodness of God can be uh, even uncomfortable. Sure. Yes? There's got to be some measure of spiritual, like a divine work, because I, I think of Second Timothy 2 that says God gives them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. And so there's, there's a measure, I think, of why do I turn to Christ? Because the reality of Christ is brought alive in some sense in my life. Amen. A good point. Um, as it puts in the book, he desires for you to see him as better than your sin. And it kind of ties along with what you're saying. Uh, and that's real spiritual maturity, too. You know, for my kids, sometimes they will only repent, if, it, if you even want to call it repentance. Honestly, with, with my kids, it's, not, it's, it's, it's a lot of worldly sorrow. You know, just being honest. I think that's where a lot of kids dwell, and we need as parents to try to dig deeper than that and not just be satisfied with the worldly sorrow. But we'll go with that for a minute. You know, kids re repent of this because of the pain that they went through. But I tell you, as a parent, you're, you just are so excited to see when they start choosing what is right because they love mom and dad, they love the Lord, and now you see that there is some real heart change, change of mind, change of heart that's going on, that uh, pleasing mom and dad is better than doing my own thing. Pleasing God is better than this sin. That's, that's real growth and maturity. Amen. So back in Luke 15, there's the guy who runs off to the world, sows his wild oats, riotous living, and before you know it, he is feeding hogs and even saying, maybe I'll just eat the hog slop. And that, of course, is not on the billboards, by the way. The, the high life. Live the high life. I, I thought about that when I was in Dublin, Ireland. with or, uh, Not Dublin, it was Arklow, Ireland, with Orlo Gorman. We were out on a, a street with a lot of pubs at night. And we, there, were, there was nowhere to step. You had to step over these guys who were just in the gutter. Literally, we say, oh, that guy's in the gutter. These guys were literally in the gutter. And I thought, this is the high life. This is, you don't see this on the, on the billboards. But anyway, this guy is out there living the high life, which really becomes the low life, and decides to come back. He comes to himself. And what preceded pre, uh, that was he hit rock bottom. You know, what we need to pray for people, we said what leads to repentance, all right, we need to pray that God will lead people to the end of themselves. 
as long as they think they have the answers, as long as they think that they can fix it and figure it out, the human heart will just continue to do that. And they're not going to keep going. And this is something that's hard for parents because we have that paternal instinct to, to protect our kids. Sometimes you need to let your kids fail. I'm preaching to myself here as well. I'm not, I'm not a perfect parent by any stretch of the imagination. Sometimes with your kid, you can end up propping them up as opposed to committing them to the Lord on this certain area and, and they come to the end of themselves, especially as they get older. Uh, and then uh, sometimes uh, parents, you know, they love them so much that they, they just... Uh, will not allow their children to taste all of the consequences of their sin. They'll insulate them from those consequences, which then keeps them from hitting rock bottom, which kind of kicks the can further down the road and makes this whole process longer. That's why when I look at Luke 15, I see a parent who really, he he made mistakes, no doubt about it, because his son Obviously, he missed something with his son somewhere. So we're not talking about Luke 15 as a perfect parent, but I do believe he did some things right. When his son went out, the dad stayed put, first of all. He didn't follow him. Okay, well, I want to keep my my relationship with my son. Don't want him to cut me off. Still want you coming home at Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter and Mother's Day. So I guess I'll go down there and do some of this, you know, whatever you're doing. And... uh, just to keep the relationship. So many parents do that. No, stay put. Stay with the Lord. Keep doing what you're doing. Your kids can respect that. So many parents follow their kid thinking that they're going to keep this warm and fuzzy relationship and in doing so, the kid despises them for it and loses all respect for them, which seems almost counterintuitive. I did all this for you. I followed you to the precipice of hell against my better judgment. I want to be back there going to church and following God, but I'm kind of following you. And the kid, the, the, the kid doesn't respect them and they end up losing the relationship anyway. You're better off lovingly stay where you're at. Stay uh, with your convictions, uh, your, your foundational beliefs so that they can, they can respect that and they'll know where to find you after they have hit rock bottom. There's some place to return to and you see that here. He's sitting there on his porch waiting for his son. His son comes. He runs to him. And, and it's a tremendous story of, of reconciliation there. So bottom line, we need to be willing to pray for people that we are working with that, that they would even hit rock bottom. It's a hard thing to pray. That's a hard one because it feels so nasty. Like, I don't hate this person. (laughs) I love this person. Why would I pray for things to get worse? But sometimes it has to get worse before it gets better. Yes? I'm not trying to step on your feet. I think the great one of the greatest lessons among many in that 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 father letting go and gave me money too. I don't know too many people that would give him money too to go, (laughs) you know, go wayward like that. But then you don't have to pray. It's God's hand that smacks upside the head or whatever you term you want to put on it. It's reality checked. Okay, now you're out of God's will. He's going to deal with you, and then I'm going to be here for you when, when you when you realize that and come back. I, I, I love that lesson. Yeah, I love that from that father's, and I, and that I very rarely or maybe never heard it preached from that aspect that that father let that circumstance happen, but I don't. I don't mean to. No, that's fine. You, you don't no, I mean you pray however you want. God, God, God. God. Yeah, certainly. You're not, you're not wishing that on The only thing I would say is this: I wouldn't say it would be wise for a parent. Let's take this guy in Luke 15 to pray at night. Lord, keep him from, you know, his life falling apart. Oh, my poor kid, my poor kid. Lord, don't. He's out there with harlots. Don't let him get a disease. Don't let him uh, become broke. Don't let him, Lord bless him. I, I would say as a parent, you're praying the wrong prayer there. You know, not that you have to pray, Lord, you know, beat him up. <laughs> you know, if you want to, you, you, you can pray however you want. Uh, that's the thing about prayer. But, but yeah, you're right. God's got him. God's going to do what he's going to do. 
And the, the thing is, cooperate with the Lord. Work, work with the Lord. And some parents, I think, are, are, uh, have a hard time. I have a hard time with that. And I can understand that. I mean, my kids, boy, I love my kids. I don't want to see them get beat up. But, yeah. <clears throat> Sure. Either destroying a family, you know, there's been a lot yeah. of reasons. That's a great point. So, that's a great so point. They might enable out of guilt. Out of guilt. Sure. Guilt. And either way, it's not helping. But yeah, if, if, the, if the parent has guilt, it's just better to deal with that on, on your own with the Lord. Deal with those things so that you can still do what's right for, for your kid. We're about out of time. Let me just hurry here quickly. Yes. Oh, yes, Lynn. That's a good point. Yeah, he didn't have Facebook. He didn't have text messages. They didn't have cars. So it was kind of like, I don't know where in the world he is. Maybe he heard word here and there from some friend, maybe. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we certainly are going to be more tested today with just what we do. So uh, parents need wisdom, need wisdom and fortitude to walk by faith and, and make good decisions for their kids. But it's not easy, for sure. Not easy. We need to be praying for each other. Well, the last point, we'll move through quickly here, what hinders repentance, and these are pretty obvious, but what hinders repentance would be, first of all, a love for sin. When we love sin more than we love Jesus, we're not going to repent. There are, uh, uh, there are a lot of sins that are so seductive that we finally just latch hold of it, and we say, you know what, this is just... I'm not, I'm not changing on this. I'm keeping this, and sorry, Lord. Uh, and that's, that is an unrepentant heart, to be sure. A love for sin. Also pride and self-will. A stubborn heart. Uh, just a, 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 a pride of, of not wanting to humble ourselves. Repentance does involve a, a level of humility, probably a, a, a deep level of humility. And if, if you're going to be full of pride, pride and repentance just don't mix. So uh, pride and self-will, uh, just ask Jonah about that one. He was a little bit proud and self, uh, self-willed. You know what's interesting about the Jonah story, though? When you think about it, um, what was the fish, what did the fish represent to Jonah? Was it judgment? No. He jumped off. He got thrown over. He was going to drown. He was going to die. The fish represents salvation in a sense. Uh, the, the, the fish was the savior. It represents grace. Uh, it still wasn't very pleasant. Uh, but anyway, he was, he was proud, self-willed, and had a hard time just, just basically embracing what God wanted. He wanted what he wanted. He wanted to preach what he wanted to preach. He did not want to see repentance uh, in the people. So pride and self-will. Next, we're at, sorry, we're at, we are over time here. Uh, where did it go? Um, I'm sorry. Ignorance of God's goodness. Ignorance of God's goodness. Sin is always hurtful. God's commands are always helpful. And the Bible says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. The more we get to know God, who he is, and how much he loves us, uh, that will help us to repent. But having a wrong understanding of who God is will hinder repentance. And then sin's pleasure. Well, that kind of goes along with love of sin, but 
This is where sin hasn't hurt me enough to break me. And uh, we just haven't hit rock bottom yet. We're still enjoying the, the, pleasure, the, 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 the season of sin, the pleasures of sin that are for a season. I don't have time to finish, and I don't want to rush through this next one because it, uh, it needs to be explained. So we're going to have to close it there. Um, but it says, why is repentance repetitive? And that's a, that is a good topic to get into, but we need to get into that, all right? I don't want to just rush through that. So maybe we can touch that on that next time. I think we have one more. Is that right? Yeah, one more, less than 13 growth points. And then we'll be getting into making a difference, a study of the early Christians in the book of Acts. Uh, I love the book of Acts. It is so faith-building, and it's all about the local church. And uh, we, can, we can hopefully be able to learn a lot and glean a lot from that. Well, good discussion here tonight. You guys keep me on my toes, man. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Thank you, Lord, for this time. We pray that you would help us to have humble hearts ready to run to you, not hide from you or run from you, but run to you when we have sinned and repent, change our mind and allow your spirit to work in us that victory. Lord, we thank you for that truth and we pray that you bless now as we dismiss and have some fellowship before we go in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.